always the best way to learn Retracing your steps till you know Have no fear, your wounds will heal That's right, the king's of convenience there for you folks All right, welcome to the inaugural episode of the Empowered Former LDS Podcast, which is named after the Facebook group that's called Empowered Former LDS, 3,000 members strong, started by Wendy Jensen about three years ago in 2019. Now, I'm Glenn Osland, and some of you may know me from the Infants on Thrones podcast, which I started with a group of friends back in August 2012. Now, that podcast is still going, but a lot has changed for me over the past 10 years. And this podcast right here is a project that I started with Wendy Jensen, who you'll be hearing from today, in an attempt to say, well, let me put it in Batman terms. Now, I I hope this isn't a spoiler for any of you who haven't seen The Batman yet. But at the beginning of The Batman, when he comes out, he emerges from the shadows and they say, who are you? And he says, I'm Vengeance. Yeah, vengeance, man. Vengeance is tough. Vengeance is something, when you've been wronged, you know you've got to get vengeance. Vengeance, vengeance. Have you felt that? You know what I'm talking about? But at the end of the movie, when he sees one of the villains who also says, I'm vengeance, he kind of realizes, vengeance won't change the past. Not mine, nor anyone else's. People need something more. They need hope. I'm hope, man. Uh, Okay, maybe he didn't call himself Hope Man, but he did say, "Mm, maybe I need to be a little bit more than vengeance. Maybe I need to be something that instills hope in people. Thank you very much, Batman. Thank you, Batman. Very empowered move there, Batman. So Wendy and I started this podcast because we were asking ourselves, what next? What what happens after vengeance? What happens after the angry part? Uh, what happens after the feeling disempowered and feeling like the victim of the Mormon church? Where do you go from here? Where did I go? Where did she go? How about all these people, these 3,000 people that are in this Facebook group? What are their stories? Let's find out more about them. And that's what we're going to do. That's what this podcast is all about. We don't have an answer as to what empowerment means. We know what we think it is, and we share that with each other, and we want to know from you as well. So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to Wendy Jensen. You'll find out more about me in future episodes. Uh, and you can find Wendy and myself at the Empowered Former LDS Facebook group, 3.1 thousand members strong. And If you join the group, or if you're already there, you can discuss this episode with others. You could also sign up yourself to share your own story and your thoughts about empowerment right here on the podcast. And now, with no further ado, (laughs) here comes trouble. Yeah. Yeah. So start us off. Go ahead. (laughs) What is our show called? (laughs) <laughs> empowered former lds is that what yeah, we're going with? you're the one that started the group okay welcome to empowered former lds nice. i'm wendy jensen and 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 what you're wendy jensen and, and... who are you oh and who am i i'm, I'm glenn Oster. i don't know if that's the way that i want to start it off it sounds a little flippant um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to sound flippant don't want to sound flippant don't be <laughs> not on the inaugural episode when there's so much pain in the world. You don't want to be laughing and and uh, being flippant, making light of things, making light of things. Yeah, right. 
So I'm excited about this podcast because it is a vision that I've had for a while, ever since I had my little crisis of, or my big crisis of um, transitioning out of my religion, the LDS church. And um, I really went into a really dark place. And I had a lot of tools already in my belt for healing and the healing arts and being able to process emotions. And it just took me out for a while. And I thought, man, if I had such a hard time, <laughs> what about people who, who aren't exposed to these tools? What about people who haven't had um, some of the, the training that I've had? that this is really a big transition. And so it kind of birthed something in my mind that I wanted to help empower people to have the tools and um, be able to capture a vision of what it feels like to be unraveled and rebuilt again, if you will. Interesting. <laughs> in a way that felt authentic to them. And so I'm excited to do this podcast with you, Glenn, because, um, I don't know, we've kind of been on this parallel journey together, haven't we? Yeah. We've had a few touch points along the way. Um, I, but I don't know that much about your background and your story, Wendy, to be honest. So uh, like we, um, and we can talk about this a little bit, but I'm really curious to know what were these tools that you had, like, what were you doing, uh, while you were still in the church believing and, because you were a life coach, even while you were still um, a believing member, right? Yes. Yeah. So tell, tell, give me, give me some background, Wendy. Introduce so, yourself to me. Nice to meet you, Wendy Jensen. <laughs> My name is Wendy Jensen. <laughs> okay. So I, um, was struggling in my marriage. I got married at 18, mm. uh, which is really common for LDS women of my age, women of a certain age. And, um, I had children really early, had five kids and I was trying to keep my marriage together. And it was just felt like it was all falling apart. And I was doing everything I knew how to do the list of things that I felt, um, I was being instructed to do by my spiritual leaders yeah, and those that I have given my authority to, <laughs> and everything was falling apart. And I read a book called remembering wholeness by Carol Tuttle. And I felt safe reading this book because I knew that she was a member of the same church, had the same beliefs. And so I thought I was safe um, listening to these self-help tips that she had. And she, in the first chapter, she explained that our, our, thought, we, our thoughts are what start to generate our reality mm. and um, how we were pretty re responsible for what was happening in our world. And in that moment, I was like, no, that cannot be because I'm doing everything right and everything's falling apart. So how could I be responsible? <laughs> and so the more I read this book, the more it started to twist in my mind. And I realized that I was seeing the world in a whole different way and that it suddenly made it a little bit my fault or all my fault. It yeah. wasn't really a fault, but it put all the power in my hands to be able to change my world. Um, because I realized it was my thoughts and my beliefs that were contributing to how I was, I was reacting and responding to the feedback I was getting in my world, if you will. And so I decided that I was going to be more responsible for what I was thinking and what my beliefs were. And that is actually the beginning of my spiritual journey inward mm. and being the authority in my own life. And so I started in the path of the healing arts because she was a rapid eye technician. Mm. And um, she talked about how rapid eye technology had helped, helped her um, 
to repair her inner world. And so I found the first rapid eye technician that I could near me. And she was the most wonderful um, facilitator. She sat there and listened to my story of victimhood. And then she kind of threw it back in my, in my lap. (laughs) And I was a little bit resentful. And she asked me this one powerful question. And all throughout this podcast, you were going to hear me say questions are the things that actually pierce and penetrate our soul and Mm -hmm. shift things. Yeah. And so she asked me this question after listening to my sob story, Wendy, do you ever see yourself as superior? Do you ever see yourself as superior? Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. So I, I, I want to hear more of the details. Are you okay (laughs) sharing some of these details? Cause like you, you, you were married, you had five kids and you said that you were struggling and things were falling apart. What, what was this victim story? If you can recreate it as much as possible that you shared with this uh, therapist when you saw that, then her response to you is, do you ever feel superior? I, well, so I'd love my to victims, know more about this. Yeah. My victim story is I am raising my five kids. I am the one that has to make sure that we read scriptures every night. I have to be the one that instigates family home evening. I'm the one that gets them ready for church every mm. Sunday. Um, I am dedicated to my calling. I'm going to the temple and my husband just can't pick up the slack. You were the good one. Uh, yes. Yeah. The superior one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I was doing all these things as pretty much the most righteous person that I knew. Yeah. And I was pretty much the most obedient person that I knew. And I couldn't figure out why my life was falling apart. And it was intolerable that other people around you didn't take yeah. it as seriously as you. Absolutely. I'm like, I'm doing all the things and my life sucks. Mm. It can't possibly be my fault. (laughs) Oh yeah. So then you hear you, then you read this book. They're like, it's your thoughts. It's your mindset that is creating this perception of reality for, and you're like, no, no, it's not, it's not my thoughts that's making other people not measure up to where they should be. Exactly. Mm. And so then she, after listening to my story, now that I look back, it's so obvious. That's a question I would immediately ask too. But at the time I was so That's a pretty bold question to ask. Was is. that your first session with her? Yes. Wow. Yes. I mean, she just penetrated right down to my core. Yeah. And because I was paying her a lot of money and because I really wanted things to shift, yeah. like this was the last straw for me. I allowed that question to penetrate my really difficult psyche at that time, my ego, it bypassed my ego and I let it rest in there. And I thought to myself, I don't like what's coming up. I don't want to hear what's coming up, but I, I need to say this because I need relief. I want relief. Yeah. And I told her, yes, I pretty much think that I'm the shit. Yeah. (laughs) And I've got it all figured out and I'm doing all the right things. So it can't possibly be me because in every aspect of my life, I pretty much show up as the best. Mm. And the reason I had, now I understand the reason I had done that is because I wanted the peace that was promised through obedience. Yeah. And so I was hyper vigilant at being obedient so that I could win. And so I could have that peace. And so that I could save my family and that we could all be, you know, celestialized in the right kingdom in the, in the next life. And that was my program. Yeah. <laughs> And so I'd become extraordinarily perfectionist in every aspect of my life. And I had no idea how my inner world was 
um, contributing to the reason I couldn't connect with my kids, couldn't connect with my husband. And unfortunately, at the deepest level, I was disconnected from myself. Hmm. So that was the big penetrating question. And then she started to perform on me with um, rapid eye technology, which is very similar to EMDR in that you're accessing right and left sides of the brain. You're accessing memories, feelings, thoughts, um, and trauma. It, it accesses trauma, puts you in a different brainwave state. So you can access, you know, those deep seated subconscious beliefs and experiences and reframe them. Mm -hmm. And she held such gorgeous, peaceful, loving space for me to be so vulnerable and to allow myself to admit these ugly things about me. And I felt so freed and liberated the first time in my life, I felt joy um, that I could remember anyway. I'm sure when I was a child, I felt joy. But at that moment, I, was th I thought to myself, this is what I wanna do for other people. Yeah. I want to hold this space. Well, I can tell that was a powerful moment for you because you're getting emotional now, even yeah. as you're recounting. How, how many years ago was this? Oh, this was 2005. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess that was 17. Yeah. Wow. 17 years ago. And that's when I went into the healing arts and became a rapid eye technician myself and a life coach and practice emotional freedom technique, which is the tapping. And so when you ask about what skills I had, I knew how to process emotions. I knew that how our thoughts and our beliefs affected our outcome. Um, I taught life skills as far as cause and effect and understanding, you know, just improving emotional intelligence is really what my main focus was on. And then I wrote the book, the healing questions guide, <laughs> the healing questions guide is like a 500 page resource to use your body to troubleshoot what emotions are coming up for you and how to process those emotions, um, using what's coming up in your body. So you can look up symptoms in your body. Like, um, I've got arthritis here. I've got, you know, something going on in my neck. I've got diabetes, arthritis, all these things that show up in our body usually show up because of a pattern of emotional stress that we're, we're infusing our body with over time. Mm. And so when you ask the penetrating questions, it bypasses the ego mind. It interrupts that neural pathway and it engages in a conversation with your higher self using that question that you didn't ever think to ask because you didn't know it was associated with what's going on in your body. And so it was a huge, <laughs> a huge epiphany for me. And I realized my gifts and being able to ask the penetrating questions and formulate those questions. And that is a big part of my coaching today is being able to ask the questions because I like to put people in the forefront, in the driver's seat of their own life. And yeah. to me, that's empowering. Yeah. Cool. I, I've got a penetrating question for you. <laughs> Go for it. What, what is your higher self? What, what does that mean? Getting in touch with your higher self. It's a part of you that's uncontaminated from the programs and the conditioning and, uh, the, the feedback that we get in this dimension. <laughs> Wow. Uncontaminated. So it's, it's pure. I'm not sure how I feel about that word. Pure? I know. No, no, no. The uncontaminated, uncontaminated part, the, the higher self. So, so it's, it's, it's uncontaminated from the programs and conditioning of 
this world. Yes. Okay. It's that that, that piece of us that holds space and maybe in a different dimension. Mm. (laughs) This is a belief. I understand that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That holds space for us in a different dimension that kind of understands the purpose and reason that we've incarnated in this form. How how would you, uh, like a a higher self and your own uh, unconscious mind, like what's the relationship between those two things for you? Um, To me, the unconscious mind is like the circus of beliefs that we have that are operating underneath um, our conscious mind. So, so so like, so like the, the unconscious mind would still be affected by the programs and be contaminated to use that, that word. Whereas there's something larger that the uh, unconscious mind is nested in nested within that is yourself. That's outside of just this dimension that has an awareness and an intelligence that is greater than your egoic self or even your unconscious self. Is that right? Am I, am I summarizing your beliefs correctly? I guess is what uh, yeah, I think, you. I think so. Yeah. We've got like our, our conditioned self and then we've got our conscious self and that's the space that we're speaking into each other right now. Yeah. And then we have a, a higher self and then there's the source, the collective. Mm. Okay. And that's connected. All of that's connected. But to me, it's all one big universe. Yeah. <laughs> and we're just a particle inside of all that. Right. Yeah. Or, or trillions of particles or who knows? I, yeah. It, who it, knows how many particles? So I'm glad that you said earlier that you're going to be talking about questions being these penetrating things that really get to the heart of the matter. I don't remember exactly how you said, uh, but questions that's i i love asking questions and I know sometimes it's going to sound like i'm asking questions like i'm mocking or ridiculing or like trying to strip something away but it's just i i'm curious to know what what you think i'm curious to know what i think i don't ever want to be at the place myself where i feel like i think that i know it all or that i'm right and other people are wrong it, that, that's something that I've, I've been like working on for years, <laughs> trying, trying to get to that place. So I hope I don't stumble across uh, or ask questions in any kind of uh, awkward or challenging way. It's, it's coming from a place of curiosity and acceptance, not from deconstructing like it used to be. Yeah. Well, that, that's the, the superior, the superior, um, position that I was taking before I had started any of my inner work and my shadow work was, you know, I, I have answers to all the questions and that's yeah. kind of what the religion offers us is that certainty to the mysteries of life. Yeah. And it actually stunts our growth, I believe, because there's certain questions we're not allowed to ask, or if we do ask those questions, they have to fit within the scope and paradigm of the approved theology. And so it really limits our growth, in my opinion, my experience. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thinking that you already know. So, so how did you go from thinking that you already knew everything, that place of being superior to actually leaving that belief system and and changing and growing? Well, I, I did a lot of processing with my facilitator and then I started being, um, a life coach myself. And I watched other people 
see how their beliefs affected their outcomes in their life. And, um, that was fascinating to me because with every client that I had, it was almost like pieces of me were being healed mm. along with them. Were, were the, were these LDS people that were your clients? Yes. And so all, it was all kind of like within an LDS yes. envelope, but then it, it made you start questioning things about LDS beliefs. Well, it was the writing of the healing questions guide that caused me to oh, really have everything collapse. Yes. Because I realized that every, um, symptom or malfunction or dis-ease in our body had some connection to contempt against the self. Mm -hmm. And when I asked myself the penetrating question of, you know, what, what is the first idea that entered my mind that caused me to develop contempt against myself. And I realized that it was a story of Jesus. <laughs> I know this is controversial, but being a young child and see someone bloody on a cross and being told that he did that for me, right. Because of something atrocious <laughs> that I either had already done or that I will do. Right that that was a payment and what was required for me to return back to my loving creator that put an idea into my head that I must be something of pathetic, disgusting, uh, rejectable human being. And that the rest of my life would probably be spent trying to prove that I was worthy to be loved by my God. Wow. So, so that created in you a contempt of self of self. And then that contempt of self, you were feeling as dis-ease in different places in your body that you became aware of as you were writing that book. Right. Wow. Contempt of, of self. And this is what I learned that day when she asked me that question, do you ever feel superior? And I had to admit it. She soothed my mind by explaining to me that this position that we take of superiority is actually a deeper sense of inferiority mm. that we, feel how, so how did that work inferior. for you in that case? Like, like, especially if you take that Jesus example, well, I felt so inferior that I was trying to position and put into my mind that I was acceptable. And if I was just perfect enough, then I could please my savior and I could please my God and I could return to heaven. I could be with my family again. Yeah. But every single day, because I'm a human, yeah. <laughs> I fell short. And so I would ignore, you know, the, the, the gaps and couldn't see how I was really performing. I could only see when I was doing the very best. Yeah. And so it denied me access to my self-awareness. Because, because you felt that somehow you, you came into this world under the stain of original sin. Yes. <laughs> and that you were perpetuating original sin. You were so sinful all the time, whether you meant to be or not, that you had to take the sacrament every single week just to purify yourself of anything that might have stained you during the week. And that, that ongoing quest for purity really reinforced this idea that you weren't pure just naturally. Right. And that yeah. it was going, it, it was probably unattainable. Mm. 
And because we don't talk about grace <laughs> in- or, or unattainable, whether it's attainable or not, it's not something you can do by yourself. You need this institution. You need this priesthood. You need this bread and this water and you know, yes. all these things in order to make it work. Yep. I was never enough. Mm. Me and yourself. myself was never yeah. enough. Yeah. When, when I asked you earlier about the higher self, uh, you were, you, you extended the higher self to ultimately to source. Mm -hmm. And you said something like you see it all as one right now. And so I'm curious if this idea of contempt of self that you had, or you recognized in yourself when you were writing the healing questions, do you now extend that as like contempt towards anyone or anything is also the same thing as contempt of self. So it's really just contempt. That's interesting because I did, I did start to see it as a mirror that I realized that all the criticisms that I was putting out there towards others, which yeah. I was highly critical, yeah, extraordinarily judgmental, yeah, superiorly, judgmental. Right. probably right. the most judgmental person you can imagine. Yeah. I don't know. We, we, it would have been fun to have a contest with you back then. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. But I didn't see how judgmental I was. Yeah. Um, but when I turned that, that mirror inward, I could see that it was all the judgments and criticisms and, and contempt against myself that I was projecting onto other people. And so, yeah, now that I understand that I look at other people and I'll hear a criticism come up and I can reverse it and say, okay, what about me is not okay with that. Yeah. How, how am I, um, where is something within me that I can reconcile so I can look at that with peace and grace? Yeah. I, I just had this memory flash and I don't know if I'm going to be able to really articulate this very well or not, but I'm going to try Wendy. I, I was, I was out in nature. I was sitting around some pine trees and there was this Creek and I was just sitting there and it was very still. It was quiet. And I realized that like, I'm a part of nature, just like everything that was around me. But I had all of these, these thoughts going through my head, Th things that I was, you know, either happy about or upset about, or in this case, we're talking about contempt. And I just had this thought of if, if I was one of the, the trees that were looking at me, <laughs> like, I wouldn't know that all of the stuff is going on inside of my head. Or if I was another person that was there, like, maybe they would be able to look and see if I'm smiling or frowning or, you know, get some kind of a sense of what I'm experiencing inside, but pretty much they wouldn't. And so whatever I'm thinking or feeling is this result of nature, just, just like anything else that I was around. And what am I doing with it? it? Like I started thinking of my mind as kind of like this garden that I could plant different thoughts or feelings and grow stuff out of. And, and so what made me think of this is when you were talking about contempt, whether, whether you're feeling self-contempt or you're being judgmental of others, it's still in this garden of mind, you're the one that's growing contempt. <laughs> Yes. Like, what, am I, what, am I, what, are we, what am I contributing into the world? It's contempt. Look at me. I, I've come here 13.8 billion years of existence in this universe. And here comes this guy in me that then is feeling superior towards people and growing contempt. And is that really what I want to be doing with my mind? Is that really what I want to be growing uh, 
with it. So I hadn't thought about that. That was, I haven't thought about that for a while. So thank you, Wendy, for reminding me of that experience. It was a beautiful one. Well, now it's a deep moment of self-reflection and self-awareness, which I didn't have at that time. Yeah. I, I, I hadn't opened the door to my own awareness Mm. at that time. And I, I hadn't asked myself something so deep that would reveal something so unholy about myself. Yeah. Um, and when I could face it with compassion, it's almost like the whole book opened up to me and my curriculum, my personal curriculum was revealed to me on how I could unravel these things and uh, um, re re knit, if you will, a tapestry that represented who I was at the core instead of the one that I had built up trying so des- desperately to follow a protocol that didn't resonate with my soul. Yeah. Do, do you feel like before, before you had that experience um, with that therapist, when she asked you if you were superior, if somebody would have asked you if you were empowered how do you think you would have responded to that? That would have been an entirely different word for me. To me, the word means so much now. <laughs> I, but I felt very disempowered at the time. Did but you, you felt like you didn't, you didn't have power, even though you were controlling everything in your life in certain yep. ways. I was doing everything that I knew how to do. And I, I thought I was in that, that power and that I was trying to access the powers of heaven by, through my obedience. And so in, in my mind, I was doing everything to have the power for change, but nothing was changing. Because you wanted other people to change. Exactly. <laughs> you wanted other people to be better and measure exactly. up to your expectations and requirements of them. And if they weren't doing that, then where's your power? Why can't yeah. you make them change? So, so you felt disempowered because you couldn't make other people change. Exactly. I okay. had a program for everybody and how I needed them to <laughs> respond yeah. because if they would just respond that way, then we could all get back to heaven. I yeah. know the way follow me and by I, hell or high water, I was going to get my family to the celestial kingdom through my obedience and my perfection. And I was going to drag them on my coattails if I had to. Mm-hmm. And now I see that as such kicking and screaming and they program. were going to love it, whether they loved it or not. <laughs> That's right. You're coming to the celestial kingdom because the idea of being separated from you is unfathomable. Mm. So I will get us all there through my obedience. Yeah. Since you aren't participating the way I need you to. <laughs> yeah. It's such a twisted program, but I, I was a very toxic mother at that time. Yeah. But a mother whose hair was on fire with the gospel. And so I thought it was, so how do you see that experience now of, of uh, who you were, how the church conditioned you? Like when you meet people, I'm lobbing you a softball here, Wendy, because you've told me what your story is and you keep it like really short and simple, but what's, what's your, your origin story of your relationship to the Mormon church? Um, I, you mean my short story yeah, as your short far as version, I, your elevator I was speech. born in a cult <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I woke up and I started living my best life, a real life, a, yeah. a life that feels congruent with who I really am. 
Do you still see it as a cult? Absolutely. Really? <laughs> I have such a hard time with that. I really do. <laughs> I really do. It's a, it's a hard word to, to reconcile with, but if, if it is a culture. Well, sure. That uses behavior, emotions, information, and your thoughts to uh, get us to perform in an outcome that is on their agenda. And so that's what I would refer to as a cult. I just think it puts such a like negative view in people's minds of like what this organization is and the people who are members of it being cult members. I'd like for, for me, it, it almost puts me back in that like, okay, I'm superior and I'm judging and I'm good and they're bad kind of thing. Like if, if I've really woken up to this and saying, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. I just can't put myself in a position where I'm like pointing my finger at the Mormon church and saying, yeah, you guys are a cult. I can't, I can't bring myself to do that. It could, it could be because I've switched in my mind what a cult is. I don't see cult as bad. There's so many cults that do amazing things. Really? You're pro cult. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm pro independent thought, <laughs> but there, there are systems and institutions that can do very good things that can still limit our growth and potential. And um, it's when we outgrow them and learn what they had to teach us uh, that I'm very grateful that I was raised in the LDS church. Mm. I, I think it's a gorgeous inheritance. I can see now that everything I experienced there prepared me for something um, that I wanted to experience in this life but that doesn't change whether or not it's a cult. <laughs> yeah. I worked for, I worked for a medical device company for 13 years that was owned by a single guy. Uh, I mean, he wasn't single, he was married, he had a kid, but uh, it was one guy and like people would fall over themselves to light this guy's cigarette. You know, it, it was a cult of personality and then it became, you know, like this hero worship kind of thing. There were a couple of books that came out about his life and, you know, like it was very culty in a lot of ways, even though this is a great, great company does wonderful things in the world. It'd probably be pro cult for, for this company. But I, I see that as just um, like human nature to really, I, and I don't know what it is. I don't really know what it is. I'm not sure I really even want to go down this path. Well, let's try Anything it on for it. a minute as far as your level of attachment. Okay. Yeah. When yeah. we get so attached to that belief, then it becomes toxic for us. Yeah. Okay. You, you coach me through this one, Wendy. <laughs> well, I, I think the, the church, the, you know, the law of obedience being the highest law of heaven is what we're, we're taught. Um, so of course we get attached to those beliefs because mm. we want our outcome to be celestial glory and we want our family to be there. And so we get very attached to those beliefs so that we could have those outcomes and the minute you start penetrating the walls of the belief and allowing doubts and questions to come through, then our level of attachment kind of diminishes and we're not so attached to the belief anymore. Yeah. Or, or attached to the fear that if you don't have what Mormonism is offering, then you won't get those things. You won't be with your family forever. Uh, right. You, you won't have eternal life. You'll have some lesser existence um, and, and being a, 
like not being attached to that fear. Like I, I very much remember when I made conscious choices of doing things that uh, I was told, if you do this, all hell's going to break loose, you know, taking off your garments, drinking a cup of coffee, you know, things like that. If you do that, then the devil's going to get you kind of thing. And I remember going, I don't really want this fear of the unknown to be driving me. I'm going to try this. I'm going to test this out. I'm going to see a, a huge one for me was around um, like bishops and stake presidents in interviews and being like, do, do I really need to tell them what I'm thinking? Do I really need to be totally honest with them about everything? And, and just because they ask, I need to tell them. Or can I, yeah, because I, I felt like they had the power of discernment and they could read my thoughts. <laughs> like, I'm going to, I'm going to test this with it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that was an example of me detaching from the fears uh, that the culture was, uh, the culture was uh, instilling in me. So I, I love that. How about, how about maybe let's see, let's try this on for a minute the elements of a theology that causes one to be highly attached to their beliefs, those elements that include fear, uh, transference of personal authority, mm. uh, obedience, someone's out to get you. If you don't obey, those are the elements that create a cult. Mm. Yeah. And if you think about those things, they're very much in the LDS theology and a lot of a lot of re religious theology. I'd say a lot of organ. I, like I'd be very curious to look at other organizations that we wouldn't necessarily think of as religious. To yeah. See if those Political. elements are. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, the Green Bay Packers. There's a or like a homeowners <laughs> association where they're just Nazis or you know or something like that. You know, <laughs> like uh, PTA or, you know, something like that, that they're yeah. like, take it really, really seriously. And if th there's a lot of fear, if you don't do this, then this horrible thing is going to happen. And it's really fear driven. Uh, yeah. And I, I, you know what I think in our, even in our, our culture of this earth dimension, I think we're shifting out of a lot of that and identifying a lot of institutions and practices that are outdated because we're moving away from the elements of fear, obligation, guilt, and shame mm. that have been used to get us to behave certain ways. I hope so. I see so much fear right now. There's so much, just, just a ton. It's a ton. I, I do. I hope that we're moving away from the, the control that, that that has over us. And maybe that brings us to the point of this podcast of empowerment. Like what, what was your vision when you started that Facebook group? Cause you, you started a Facebook group about three years ago, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Called empowered former LDS. Empowered former LDS. What, what were you, what were your intentions when you did that? Um, my hope was to give them the tools and the vision this is what I see instead of fear, obligation, guilt, and shame. Mm -hmm. I see vision, intuition, intention, and, um, edification and education. When you incorporate those tools and allow a person to trust or connect to their higher self, then they can govern themselves in a way that is in harmony with what I would say, the collective source. Yeah. What, what, like, 
connecting to the higher self. T tell me a little bit more about that. What is that? What does that look like? Like, how, how do you know if you are connected to your higher self or if you're not connected to your higher self? Um, peace. <laughs> you have a sense of peace? A sense of peace and a sense of well-being and joy and everything is just okay. This is just a an experience and everything's going to work out. Yeah. What role and, does trust play in that? Um, that's a good question. How does trust play in that? I, to, to me, that's what, a, when, when I hear you say connecting to your higher self and connecting to source, what, what that means to me is that like, I'm, I'm just going to trust that I can't see everything. I don't really know what's right. going on. And I don't know if this is going to be good or bad. I don't know it, what the outcome is going to be. But, you know, the way that you talked about a higher self earlier, you said that the higher self kind of sees the overall plan for your life. And like whether it knows the future or possible futures, if there's more than one, uh, wh whatever that is, you just kind of give up needing to know it. I don't need to know. I don't need to try to control it. Um, I'm going to trust. And yeah. And it, it all is synonymous with surrender. Yeah. Yeah. I surrender to that or I lean into that Yeah, with just hope and faith. You know, yeah. it, it kind of changes those words around that were used in the theology. And I just trust and, and hope that that is going to happen. And when that does, I have evidence, the ev evidence of things working out starts to pile up. So it gives me more confidence in leaning in and trusting and surrendering. Cool. All right. In the time that we have left, there's two things that I want to do with you. First, I want to talk about um, like, what are, with, with this podcast, it's called Empowered Former LDS because we're naming it after this Facebook group that you have. You've been running for three years. There's about 3,000 people in it. So we're going to be talking with people in this group, doing interviews and asking them what they think empowerment is, learning from them. Um, but of course, both you and I have are coming from this background of feeling superior to other people. So <laughs> there might be this natural judgment as we're sitting and listening to these conversations. So just in the spirit of pure transparency, through what lenses will we be judging, Wendy, when, when you're talking to people about empowerment, um, what, are, what are the top three things that you think, the top three characteristics that you look for in somebody who is claiming to be empowered? Awesome. In my own experience there, it was like a threshold that I crossed hmm. where in that moment, I became more vitally interested in being the creator of my own life instead of making what's happened to me more important. So that's your number one, be, being the creator instead of thinking about what happened to you. So kind I'm of like more an interested in creating passive. my life and then making someone responsible for what happened to me. Okay. Yeah. Cause now I can focus my time, energy, my, my uh, thoughts, my beliefs and everything, creating the life that I want rather than making somebody else accountable. <laughs> So you, you want to be the creator, you want to be responsible instead of blaming it on someone else. 
Yep. That's your number one. That puts the power in my, in my court, right? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. I wrote down my three. So I want to hear yours and then I'm going to share with you mine and we can compare notes. This is awesome. Yeah. What's your second one? The second one is to gain certain skill sets that allows me to transform the elements of tragedy and trauma into triumph. Okay. So like reframing skills, reframing, seeing it in a different way, turning trauma into resilience, trauma to resilience. Okay. Yeah. Can you give me an example of that? Um, when I gave my authority or it wasn't until I gave my authority away to church leaders and, um, to the theology and witness what it feels like to experience that I couldn't have valued what it feels like to return that authority to myself. Okay. When I lost the, a lot of the friends and the clients that I had because I left the church, mm. it wasn't until then that I started establishing really authentic, connective relationships. So it wasn't until I was hurt <laughs> um, that I could see the value in what the opposite had to provide. So it's so, living in this world duality. So the, tr- the trauma that you experienced when you left the church of losing clients and friends, you now are able to reframe that instead of something that happened to you, something that you actively were doing that a- actually brought more enriching relationships into your life. Yes. Okay. Because I, I could see the contrast. I could see the difference. Okay. All right. Nice. What's your third one? Hmm. To me, empowerment is being able to maintain a sense of myself as the observer, Mm. not just the participant. And to realize that I am the common denominator (laughs) of what I'm experiencing in all of that. And so when I just, you know, having something happen in my life that I don't like, I can step back for a minute and look at it and say, hmm. What, what are the elements at play here? And that helps me to be in the driver's seat of my own life. Okay. That's interesting because I think your number three um, is close to what my number one is. So, so before I go to mine, let me restate yours. So, so if, if, you're, if you're listening to uh, one of these interviews that we're going to be doing and you hear somebody that you know, they're talking about being empowered. You're going to be listening to see, are they the creator? Are they taking responsibility instead of blaming it on somebody else? That's one of the things you're going to be listening for. Two, you're going to be thinking, are, do they seem to have the skills of being able to reframe uh, a traumatic situation to something that is like empowering, beneficial to them that they learn from, maybe even grateful for. And then the third one, um, do do they have some kind of like detached observer quality where, where they're self-aware? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay, cool. So here's mine. My first one was self-awareness. <laughs> um, that, um, so like, like being able to, to 
recognize that whatever it is that I'm thinking and feeling, there's a reason for, there's a legitimate reason. There's a valid reason for, I'm a huge Alan Watts fan. Um, Alan Watts has this great lecture where he talks about there's no wrong feelings and it's just absolutely beautiful. It's just like any feeling that you feel is a natural result, just like a a weather pattern is a natural result to the environment and influences and pressure systems and things like that around That's like our inner environment is the same type of thing. So if I'm thinking or feeling something, it is a, a reaction to things that are going on around me, inside of me. And what I started doing in being self-aware is to ask myself or first become aware, here's what I think and here's what I'm feeling. What else could I be thinking or what else could I be feeling and recognizing, oh, if, if I was looking at it from this perspective or that perspective or something, it might be different. And so realizing I only have one version of a number of possible versions that it could be right now. And I'm not going to judge myself. I'm not going to do anything that I'm just accepting that this is one way of seeing things. Um, and I don't really know why I chose this one instead of any of the others that it could be, but I'm accepting that this is what it is. So that kind of self-awareness and acceptance of what is, is the first thing that I'm listening for when I'm talking to somebody about empowerment. Um, I think you, my, my second one is taking personal responsibility. And I think you talked about this one as well, instead of blaming uh, on other people. Um, and you mentioned the word mirror uh, earlier, that other people can be a mirror. Like if I'm annoyed at somebody else, because I think they should be doing something that they're not doing. <laughs> what I'm really doing is learning about my values, what I think should be. <laughs> and whether that's true or not is completely irrelevant. If I think that they should be this way and they're not, and I'm annoyed at them, they're being a mirror for me to learn more about myself. Um, and so taking personal responsibility, if I'm upset with somebody, it really isn't because of something that they did most likely. I mean, sometimes it could be if somebody ran into my car and I'm upset, it's because they hit my car. <laughs> but there's a number of ways that I could react and respond to that as well. I, I, so my reaction and my response to things really ultimately is my responsibility um, and how I'm responding to other people as a mirror for me just tells me more about myself. So personal responsibility is huge for me when it comes to empowerment. And then the third one is for me is healthy boundaries and that boundaries is kind of a big thing for me because I, I hear people use the word boundaries a lot. And that old judgy superior part of me goes, they're using it wrong. That's not really what, what boundaries <laughs> you do are. It the right way that you got to do it the right way, which is the way that I see it, of course. Right. <laughs> but so having, having kind of poked fun at myself, let me tell you what the right way actually is then it's uh, holding space for others not getting involved in their business. I, I'm not doing any of this external control psychology thing that we kind of talked about with you where you're trying to change everybody and you're upset. Why won't they change? Right. Um, like I think about in one of the Harry Potter movies, uh, Dumbledore and Voldemort have this epic battle when you know Voldemort appears in the Ministry of Magic and uh, he's like, throwing fire at Dumbledore. And I think there's like broken glass at one point and, and Dumbledore puts up this force field. And as the broken glass is coming towards him, it hits the force field and it turns into sand and it just like drops at his feet. That's how I think of boundaries. I, I think of boundaries as like 
my me taking responsibility for how I feel and how I react and how I respond, um, being like this force field kind of thing. You, know, you, you might be saying something to me that's really, really mean, but I've taught myself to look past what you're saying and go, oh, this is because you're coming from a place of pain. And I actually feel compassion for you right now, instead of feeling like, indignant because you insulted me <laughs> like no you, you haven't insulted me you're telling me that you see things in a certain way and you're revealing yourself to me a little bit and to me that's that's a healthy boundary where i'm able to like hold space for this person for where they're at or at least where i think that that they are and not take on any kind of negativity from them um so i th i think of boundaries as being a a force field that transmutes energy rather than being some kind of big electric fence with razor sharp barbed wire that says you can't come here you you have to act this way if you're going to be in my life because if you don't you're out sometimes that's the right thing to do if somebody's really toxic right but the way that i am with boundaries looking for healthy boundaries especially when i'm asking about empowerment like i'm not going to let somebody else take away my power for this garden of mind that I have and saying how I'm going to react and how I'm going to respond to things. I, I, I did that as a Mormon when I gave my power away to my leaders and other people and things around. Yeah. I'm just not going to do that anymore. So those are my three, Wendy, I like that. I... personal responsibility, healthy boundaries and healthy boundaries. I, I, I like the, the word boundaries might have make, uh, me as nervous as the word cult does for you. Oh, really? <laughs> cool. <laughs> because what, what you described to me, I would call alchemy mm. magic. Yeah. And it really does. It does feel like magic when you have developed that power and empowered yourself. Yeah. It is like magic because yeah. the things that are, you're, you're able to quickly alchemize what's happening to you, reframe it and see it in a different way. Um, ah, that's yeah. superpowers. I love and, it. And, and I, I, I think the empowered part is important because it's who is giving you the power? Who is, who is it that you're looking to, to give you the power to be empowered? If it's somebody else, look out. <laughs> because then yeah. you're at their mercy. If you don't yeah. do what they want, when they want it, how they want it, they're not going to give you the power. And, but, and our goal is to put the power in our, in our own right. hands. Yeah. As, as I, I, I think, you know, I'm in a, a master's program right now for clinical mental health counseling and looking through the uh, ACA code of ethics. One, one of the main things that therapists are supposed to do is empower people to create a sense of autonomy and self-worth and self-confidence in the client. Um, so like you talked about de de detaching this sense of attachment towards other people, towards authority figures and really taking personal responsibility is what therapists do. Um, so it's an important part of empowering. Yeah, I agree. I love all those. Yeah. Very good. All right. So we're going to end today's episode with a little something that you recorded about a dragonfly and you talk about it in the recording, but is there anything you want to say as an introduction to it? And by the way, we're not ending with the dragonfly episode. That's going to be episode two. So she's going to introduce to you now the dragonfly episode two. All right. Paying attention. There's going to be a quiz. When I heard the story about the dragonfly, it, it helped me 
helped to give me permission to understand my own growth. And that's when you are in nature, like you were talking about earlier, nature teaches us. And, um, when I heard the story about the dragonfly, I realized that being a dragon nymph was a little bit different than being a dragonfly Mm. and that you are incubated in a world in the water and you think that's all there is. And then there comes a moment in your life where you realize you're so much more, so much more. And it's, you have permission to explore and to expand and you can either take that opportunity or you can shake your fist at the water and say, look what you've done to me, not seeing who you really are. Yeah. So taking that, taking that power back. Yep. Yeah. Recognizing you have wings and realizing that you are not only in a, you were not only an aquatic creature, but you are also a land creature and an aerial creature that you get to play with all the elements and you get to be the one that's in charge of your life. If you look at a dragonfly, they're pivoting and hovering and they're doing whatever they want, exploring in whatever way that they want to. And they're just living in a space of curiosity. And that's how I want to uh, live my life is just, I want to live in the big question in the mystery of it all. all. I release control and surrender to the flow of love that will heal me. Thank you for listening to the Empowered Former LDS Podcast. Now, if you found today's episode interesting or valuable in any way, please share it with someone that you care about. You can also give us a five-star rating and write a review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you use. You can find Wendy and Glenn at the Empowered Former LDS group on Facebook, 3.1 thousand members strong, where you can also discuss this episode with others and sign up yourself to share your own story and thoughts about empowerment on this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and remember... Wherever you're at, whatever is going on, you got this. I